Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the gospel of jesus christ friend is the good news of jesus christ and the gospel is god's way of rebooting your life for good whereby you can live for others and not for yourself that's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message with Pastor Mike is entitled The Gospel Reboot. That's The Gospel Reboot, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with the conclusion to The Gospel Reboot. And we hope that you enjoy it. It is today's Reaching Your Heart. The New Age is bankrupt. Philosophy is bankrupt. Theology is bankrupt. Jesus is not. Sin has that powerful force to rob a person of life. Paul says we are held fast in the snare of Satan and that we are taken captive by his will. So our will doesn't work very well in this world. We are born doing the devil's will instead of God's will. You know, there's a thing going around today in the church, maybe you've heard it, saying that the gospel is about social justice. You ever hear that? You ever hear that? Well, that's a false gospel because it's not about social justice. It's about the greatest injustice in the history of the world. One man dying for every human being because we're all sick. And the person who seeks social justice in this world won't get it. We as Christians suffer injustice in this world, do we not? And we cannot take up the sword to produce justice for others. And so we must endure and we must experience what Christ experienced to seize the prize. And so there's a false gospel going out there that would substitute something of a human will for that which we need most, Jesus Christ. Friend, that is why we look at the cross and we see the power of Christ. The gospel is God's power to change the life, to give power for good and to transfer the will, to give us the ability to live with injustice, to give us the ability to love others in spite of what they do. The gospel is God's power to work in us. So what is this gospel that reboots the life according to his will? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Paul here just lays it out very clearly. He says, Now I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel, which you received, in which you stand, and notice what else he says, by which you are saved. I mean, there are Christians afraid to use the word saved. I want to be saved. What about you? Therefore, I have to receive the gospel, and you are saved by receiving it. But there's another condition besides receiving it. If you hold it fast unless you believed in vain. I mean, if you hear it, you don't cling to it, and you don't make it a big deal in your life, you don't benefit from it. How many of you go water skiing? Anybody go water skiing? I was once in a theology homiletics class learning how to preach. When Dr. Bennett, my homiletics professor, was asking about the sea of glass, 
he was getting theological in the class. He was saying, I don't know how they're standing on the sea of glass. Does anybody have a clue here? And I raised my hand, sir, I know how. I know exactly how and why they're standing on the sea of glass with Jesus in the book of Revelation. He says, well, tell us. He was a Daniel and Revelation scholar. I said, sir, it is not profound at all. They are water skiing with Christ. He looked at me. My grade went down a little bit. But I was right. It's a whole lot of fun moving through the water with Christ. Now, if you've ever water skied, you know you've got to hang on to that rope real tight, right? I used to slalom on a single ski, and I threw my back out a couple of times. I did it anyway because I loved it so much. I have barefooted before my leg injury. And to be able to stand on the water barefooting, letting that boat drag you with your feet pushing in, the distance as you're on the water without a ski is exhilarating. What does it take to do it? You've got to hang on tight with all you've got. Friend, the gospel of God's good news is for your life. You've got to hang on to it with all you've got. Okay, so what is it that we hang on to? Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The first in rank, and that means the primary point of that good news that reboots our lives, is the truth that Jesus died for our sins. Now soak it in emotionally and intellectually here. And as sinners, we all deserve to die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God was not willing, friend, to just let your sin run its course in your life and let it kill you at the end in the judgment day. God was unwilling to let that happen. So God gave us Jesus in love, as the gift of love, from the eternal heart of love, the everlasting covenant, His very name, who He is, love, to give His life as the love of God poured out so that you can be forgiven with streams of mercy in your life that run deep and run forever. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I've heard people speak of a bloodless atonement in some places. A theologian gets so smart, he says, well, Jesus really didn't have to die. He didn't have to shed his blood. And they directly contradict the Bible when they say that stuff. And they say, well, that's pagan, arbitrary. It's not either. It's moral law. That moral infraction brings death. God does not alter moral law. But God loves you more than moral law. Because He is moral law, He loves you more than Himself. So He sacrificed Himself for moral law, for the justice within Himself, so that you could be set free and live. That is not legalism. That is not arbitrary. That is love. Though sometimes a theologian can get so smart, he's too smart to be saved. Jesus shed His blood and we are forgiven because He did it for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.3 that the first and foremost truth of the gospel is the truth that Jesus died for our sins. Don't try and reason this truth away with some complicated theology if you want to be saved. Just accept it. Jesus died for me. In the book, The Desire of Ages, page 25, my favorite inspirational writer in poetic terms kind of puts it in a beautiful way. Christ was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as He deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which He had no share, that we might be justified by His righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was His. With His stripes we are healed. Friend, the gospel is the truth, not a truth, of the great exchange that changes lives forever. 
His painful death was meted out so we need not die, but only die to self. His life was poured out so we might learn to live the life that is poured out for others. His pain became the hard way whereby we might receive the right to live a life of joy. And His condemnation becomes the legal basis for our acceptance in this life. His injustice becomes the justice and righteousness of God. What He suffers becomes our joy. And what He endured becomes our song and our worship. The gospel provides the legal tender and currency for the judgment day and every day of your life for that matter. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. So our sins will not kill us at the end of time. We are saved by one. One who took our place. Who took our lives, our thoughts, our experience into himself. Who went to hell between Gethsemane and the cross. For every human being who soaked up the consciousness of Adam to the last child of Adam to the end. And somehow through the nexus of the second Adam, he became the horror point for the human race. That he might redeem us from it all. Soak it to the dregs and rob it of its power to rip you of life whereby you might live. And so he dies. Amen. The ultimate truth is the cross of Calvary. Christ died for our sins. Friend, this is the most important truth in the gospel. And don't let some smart philosopher type tell you it's not important to your life. It saves you for the judgment day. And 1 Corinthians 14.4 continues with the second and third elements of the apostolic gospel that reboots a person's life. In verse 4, Paul says, He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ was buried on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, there the wave sheaf was on the third day. The Scriptures in the ancient festival system taught the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus in a three-day cycle. And it was the day after the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the people were commanded to remove all the leaven from their home. Leaven represents sin. It spreads. It kind of gets into everything. And it was removed. Why? Because the burial of Christ represents the removal of sin from the universe. He, that is Christ, found a sea so deep in death that the devil himself couldn't find it there. And there he cast all our sins into the sea of death. And you are the only one that can dig them up, so don't. So Jesus died for our sins. Then he was buried to get rid of them. And thirdly, as the third element of the apostolic gospel, he was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. Since Jesus died for our sins, why was he resurrected? Here's why. Look at Romans 4, 23 to 25. Verse 25 is the key verse. We'll look for context here. Here Paul is comparing the faith of the one who believes in Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead with the faith of Abraham. And there are logical progressions here. Paul posits that just as Abraham was declared to be righteous in Genesis 15 because he believed the Lord, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Thus, when you believe in the apostolic gospel, you believe in Jesus as your Savior. He died for your sins. You accept the resurrection for you. You are accounted righteous before God as if you had never sinned. Faith in Jesus, death and His resurrection, friend, pleases God. It is the door that opens heaven's storehouse that provides God's currency into your life. Faith takes the gospel of peace, God's gospel, and holds it fast. And faith brings the forgiveness and acceptance of God to the heart and the life that is declared righteous by God today and for the judgment day. 
Romans 4.22. That is why his, Abraham's faith, was reckoned to him as righteousness. He's following the line of thought. That means God, in his mind, declared Abraham righteous. Now, he messes up right after that. But that's not the point. The point is he's righteous because he trusts God. Verse 23. But the words it was reckoned to him, Abraham meaning this, were written not for his sake alone, verse 24, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who was put to death for our trespasses, literally handed over, paradidomi in the Greek, and raised for our justification. Friend, Jesus died for our sins. We've already learned that is the first and foremost truth of the gospel. He was buried to get rid of our sins by burying them in the sea of death far away from us. But why was He raised? He was raised for our justification on resurrection morning. Now the Greek word dikaiosis here, translated justification, means universally in the Greek language, a legal acquittal. It carries the idea of a vindication or a righteous act that sets free and gives life. But it is primarily a legal acquittal. You can't legally prosecute someone in the judgment day who has been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You can't condemn to death and misery someone who has been acquitted in this way. In relational and family terms, the Greek word can mean a legal and relational acceptance that is rooted in a legal action. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, friend, is God's statement in time with legal authority. It does not violate the moral law of God, but it upholds the moral law of God because Christ went to the cross and dealt with the claims of the law for us. He was born under the law, Paul says. So it's God's statement in time and for all eternity that we who are in Jesus by faith, who have accepted this gift, who rely upon Him as a Savior, that we are children of God as if we had never sinned, fully righteous before His eyes and well-pleasing to Him in Christ. Now the past has passed away in Christ and the life that has come, the rebooted life, has come in Jesus. The heart can change because it is not controlled by the old age of fear and obligation. It's controlled by love and opportunity. The statement in Romans 5.1 flows right out of this third fact of the Gospel. Romans 5.1 Therefore, and you see that's the conclusion of all this, since we are justified by faith, we have what? Peace. What kind of peace? With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's huge. Friend, as a Christian, there will be times when you struggle with sin and you will feel the power of the old nature trying to drag you down. But God in Christ has dealt with all that stuff by pardoning you and giving you power to live a new life. Acceptance is huge and a pardon is proof that you are accepted as a daughter or son of God if you believe and you hold the gospel fast. So by the power of the gospel, you have the legal right and the Holy Spirit energy, the dynamite power to become what you are, a transformed child of God. God accepts the believer who places his or her trust in Jesus at the beginning of the journey, not just at the end of the journey because of Christ. And God accepts that person as a son or daughter of God with the full privileges of the family of God. There are no second-class citizens in God's family. So how does God treat a person who holds to the apostolic gospel tight in his heart by faith? Romans 8.1. Here it is, clearly put forth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are aware in Christ Jesus. 
Praise God. You know, that just gets me where I need it. Others may scowl at you. God is not. You may be scowling at yourself. Quit doing that. In Christ, no condemnation. Now, if you're not in Christ, there's lots of it. You have to align. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is a selfish kind of law. It's God's moral law trying to be kept by people who believe that by doing it, they'll save themselves. The soul that sins, that soul will die. And the soul that sins, that soul sins because of a selfish kind of law. Sin is the art of making your life the center of your own universe. Even the moral law of God can be turned towards selfish, legalistic ends. Christ died and Christ gave Himself so that the power of the law of selfish living would surrender to the law of love and life and giving in Christ. The resurrection would transform the old age, the old and obsolete era of the old covenant that only puts the law of God on a hard stone that it would end when God puts the living Christ with the law in His heart in your heart. The person who is justified by God who really believes with a grateful heart that Jesus died for their sins and that Jesus was buried so He could put them away deep under the sea of death and that God raised Jesus from the dead for their legal acquittal and acceptance, that person is free. Jesus took the blood of the everlasting covenant, His blood, and He signed the emancipation papers of the human race. And one arm reached to the left, moving toward the east, and the other reached moving toward the west, and he embraced the world. He died for the sins of the world. He first atoned for the sins of the Jewish people, but he figured that he'd just do it for everybody at the same time. And he has made a new Israel, a new people of God who are free. Free from the power of the law to condemn. Not free from the law, because he is the law but free from the power of the law to condemn on the judgment day. Why? One text in Romans 6, 7, and 9. The context here is baptism. A person is baptized into Christ's death. He's raised to a new life. And look at verse 7. For he who has died, it's understood, in baptism, is freed from sin. Now the Greek word freed there is literally justified. Legally acquitted from sin. What does that mean? It means you cannot prosecute someone a second time. Once the legal requirements of the law have been exhausted, you cannot drag that person to court again. Verse 8, But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. But death He died to sin, once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You've got to let that past go. You've got to stop rehearsing the stuff that makes it sound like you aren't a child of God. You are by faith a child of God. Dr. Christian Bernard was a surgeon who performed the first heart transplant surgery in history. It had simply not been done before he made it so. He was the first man to pull it off. If my old dog, Avalanche, who's now deceased, had met that doctor before the surgery, he probably would have bit the doctor. Now, Dr. Bernard practiced on 50 dogs before he tried it on a human. 50 unfortunate dogs died so he could pull it off. And then the chance came. In 1967, he finally had a patient who was desperate enough to try the dog stuff on him. 
The patient was 54 years old, and he had diabetes and terminal heart disease. He wanted to live, and so he agreed to give the doctor a chance. Try me. Dr. Bernard later wrote, For a dying man, it is not a difficult decision because he knows he is at the end. If a lion chases you to the bank of a river filled with crocodiles, you will leap into the water, convinced you have a chance to swim to the other side. And so the man took the leap for life. He had nothing to lose. He couldn't save himself, so he took the leap. Go ahead, give me a new heart. Assisted by his brother, Dr. Bernard took the diseased, dying heart out of the man, and he gave him a new heart to take its place. When the surgery was done, the doctor sewed him up, and the new heart began its timely beating deep inside his chest. Twenty years later, his brother described the moment when Dr. Bernard finished his surgery. He recounted, here are his words, Chris stood there for a few minutes watching, then stood back and said, It works. It works. You know, the legalist who focuses on works, who believes that he is accepted by his good works, would have you think that righteousness by faith alone is lawlessness. It's cheap grace. Dear heart, legalism is lawlessness because it does not work to change a life and a heart. It does not bring obedience. It does not bring attitudes of commitment in the church. It only sows fear and fosters the kind of attitude that makes it impossible to love God. It is not obedient to God's law in the right spirit, and it can never be, because it's writing the law on stone, not hearts. Because it obeys from fear and for all the wrong reasons, it's unacceptable in the judgment day. And it cannot please God in life, because it's a Christless religion. Because a legalist is not free from the power of fear and sin, thus he cannot obey. Faith works because the life you live through faith works through love, peace, and joy because you have received a gift by faith. You love the giver and you treasure the gift. For there is power and energy in the gospel to live for God because of the gospel reboot. The mind and heart of Jesus in you as a gift works in you through the Holy Spirit to do His will. You're not on trial for the bumps in your growth process. You're simply growing. His life in you is the fruit of the great exchange when Jesus died for your sins, primary in the gospel, when He was raised for your justification, the fruit of the gospel. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Dear heart, the gospel is the great exchange of his life for yours. So your life is set free to love him freely and to live for him without fear. This is the apostolic gospel, the gospel reboot that takes a person from the old obsolete covenant of law on stone to the new covenant that puts the mind and heart of God, which is his law. The heart of love inside the heart that believes in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we are flawed people. And that's good in a way. Because if we don't know it, we'll never reach out for grace. Thank you for teaching us in our brokenness that we need a Savior. We need the Savior. And Lord, it's rotten stuff that comes to the cross and bows on bended knee. 
And it's a son or daughter of God that leaves that place standing and walking with Jesus in life. Father, we were reborn at the foot of the cross. We're born for eternity when we seek the one who died for us. May you bless your people this day. May our fellowship together be holy fellowship. And give us a mind and heart, Lord, for the salvation of those in our neighborhood, our family, and ourselves, really. To live for Jesus in his name. Amen. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times, and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement, and it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe, events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to His second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7-888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled God's Last Altar Call. Join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart.